Hello, this is Adrian Hendricks. And Jerry Hendricks with Say One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities that dishonor human life created in the image of God. There's no greater dishonor to God in human life than to reject His eternal salvation only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. When I was much younger, every day after school, I would go into my grandmother's bedroom and watch a game show called Who Do You Trust? People would compete in pairs, and the captain of the pair had to decide if they would trust themselves or their partner to give correct answers to a variety of questions. Obviously, some people were better at answering questions than others, but the question posed by the name of the show haunted me into adulthood. The question indicated that trust was valuable for much more than answering random questions. For instance, in an emergency situation, whom do we trust for help? Do we trust ourselves or someone else? If a life-changing decision needs to be made, do we trust our own judgment or look for someone else to make it? If events and circumstances around us become too fearful to handle, whom can we trust for rescue and safety? Whom can we trust for the health and healing of ourselves and of our loved ones, for peace of mind, for stability in uncertain times, for comfort in sorrow, to meet unexpected needs? If we don't know whom we can trust in these and other situations, fear can come into our hearts and send us in a spiral of anxiety and terror from which we may not be able to escape. However, our answer to all of these questions is the title of today's message, Trust God. Fear is a common response to things that present either a real or an apparent threat. We even declare fear over ourselves when we say things like, I'm afraid that or it makes me shudder to think about, even though whatever is being discussed does not necessarily generate real fright in the speaker. The world has gone through a massive scare unlike anything else most adults have experienced in memory. It is as if humanity was in a life class and the subject to be studied was fear. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the noun fear as an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger or an instance of this emotion, a state marked by this emotion, anxious concern or solicitude, profound reverence and awe, especially toward God, reason for alarm, such as danger. The verb fear is defined as to be afraid of, to expect with alarm or fear the worst, to have a reverential awe, that is, to fear God, to frighten, to feel fear in oneself, to be afraid or apprehensive. What is interesting about this word in noun and verb forms is that the fear of the Lord applies to both. We will talk about that shortly. David was a man well acquainted with danger and uncertainty in his life, but this psalmist king had a secret weapon against fear. He put his trust in the Lord God. Let's hear his declaration from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. 
for their crime will they escape, and wrath cast down these people, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. And God whose word I praise, and the Lord whose word I praise, and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David was clearly in dire straits in this psalm, but he insists repeatedly, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? This may sound boastful to some as they may think, Why, man can do a lot of damage to you. But David knew full well that his God, the Creator, would protect him, and he said as much, You have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David was able to describe his situation to God and ask for help from the only one who could help. Many people have come to the Lord thinking that once they accept the Lord Jesus into their lives, that the rest of their days will be worry-free, only to be struck with panic and deep disappointment when divorce, illness, death, bankruptcy, an unjust arrest and imprisonment, or any number of other awful things happen to them. However, the early believers knew better. In fact, after accepting the only true God through a personal encounter with Jesus, the Apostle Paul found himself on the business end of a stoning mob after healing a man. This is recorded at Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 23. Now, at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lysonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Man, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Did you hear that? 
At verse 22, Paul and Barnabas told the disciples that they should continue in the faith and that through many tribulations they must enter the kingdom of God. Tribulation here is defined by Webster's 1828 dictionary as severe affliction, distresses of life, vexations. In scripture, the word tribulation often denotes the troubles and distresses which proceed from persecution. Indeed, 1 Peter 4 verses 12 through 19 explains that these kinds of things are to be expected, not because there is something wrong with belonging to Jesus the Messiah, but because there is actually something wrong with the world system and that there is a sure reward for those who persevere. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In a conversation with his disciples, Jesus explained that the end of all things earthly would be heralded by fearful times. At Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 8, Jesus told them, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth, and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
And there would be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. If we see these things with our own eyes, what will we do? Admittedly, fear keeps us from thinking clearly and in some cases keeps us from even seeing what is happening before us. But what is the most powerful response against fear? Often when someone is startled or frightened, they may call on God whether they believe in Him or not. Honestly, we don't have any words of our own that will calm all fears, but we do have words from the only human person who died and is now alive, and from those to whom He appeared at Luke chapter 12 verses 4 through 8. Jesus said to the people, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of people. They can kill the body, but after that they can do nothing more to hurt you. I will show you the one to fear. You should fear God, who has the power to kill you and also to throw you into hell. Yes, he is the one you should fear. When birds are sold, five small birds cost only two pennies, but God does not forget any of them. Yes, God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many birds. I tell you, if you stand before others and are willing to say you believe in me, then I will say that you belong to me. I will say this in the presence of God's angels. Isn't it interesting for Jesus to observe that if there is anyone of whom we should be afraid, it is God himself? We aren't talking about a terror that drives us away from God since he wants us to come to him. No, this kind of fear is the abhorrence of offending or displeasing him out of love and respect for him. This is not hard to do because God's word is replete with descriptions of what pleases him and what he hates. This should be no surprise because of the prophetic description of Jesus from Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5. There should come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 
If anyone is concerned now that they are in trouble with God, let the words of Jesus, speaking with his disciples, put you at ease as he reveals his identity. At John chapter 14 verses 1 through 10, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Then at John 14, verses 27 through 29, Jesus told his disciples, I leave you peace. It is my own peace I give you. I give you peace in a different way than the world does. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am leaving, but I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would be happy that I am going back to the Father, because the Father is greater than I am. I have told you this now before it happens. Then when it happens, you will believe. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 further explains the peace we have when we trust God. We have been made right with God because of our trust. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are very happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. And we are also happy with the troubles we have. Why are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. We know this because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit he gave us. Christ died for us when we were unable to help ourselves. We were living against God, but at just the right time, Christ died for us. Very few people will die to save the life of someone else, even if it is for a good person. Someone might be willing to die for an especially good person, but Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed how much he loves us. We have been made right with God by the blood sacrifice of Christ, so, through Christ, we will surely be saved from God's anger. I mean that while we were God's enemies, he made friends with us through his son's death. And the fact that we are now God's friends makes it even more certain that he will save us through his son's life. And not only will we be saved, but we also rejoice right now in what God has done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus that we are now God's friends. And how does one become a friend of God? Romans 10 verses 9 through 12 says, If you openly say Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from death, you will be saved. Yes, we believe in Jesus deep in our hearts, and so we are made right with God. And we openly say that we believe in him, and so we are saved. Yes, the scriptures say anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. It says this because there is no difference between those who are Jews and those who are not. 
The same Lord is the Lord of all people, and he richly blesses everyone who looks to him for help. And as we call on God for help, here are some things we must consider that involve the fear of the Lord from 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 21. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We know that there are many who don't believe in Jesus or God. We are not telling anyone what to believe, but we are telling everyone that belief and trust in God through Jesus is the only antidote against fear or fearful situations that can and will show up. If you are afraid today, consider placing your trust in Jesus for now and for eternity. We will leave you today with his words from Mark 11 verse 22. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you faithfully spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good.